Yeah. No. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. No. But yeah. I, I don't I've never I you no. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah, that really oh, hey. kind of grosses me out. That was so organic. Thank you. Hi, I'm Katie and life is an autobahn. Hi, I'm Molly, and I'm the busty beer frau who's here to tell you that Das Leben ist kein Ponyhof, <laughs> which translates to Life isn't a pony farm, which is a German saying, which I get, guess draws on the fact that um, Germans love to go to pony farms. Yeah. And I guess snack on fresh pony. <laughs> what else are they here to do? And we're joined by Eric. Eric, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Eric, and Yeah No Yeah is the only podcast I regularly listen to. So thank <laughs> wow. you for having me. What an honor. <laughs> Very honored to be here. Our one fan comes to be on yeah. the one podcast that he listens to. It's a and wonderful... who will listen to this episode? <laughs> <laughs> I, I work a job that does not allow me to listen to podcasts. Well, because right. I just have to listen to music all day. Right. So it's pretty much uh, the rare desk wah, job. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to mention that uh, Eric is a music supervisor, which is a job that would not have occurred to me exists. No. Um, but you pick out music for commercials and, right? Yeah, commercials and films. Commercials yeah. and so, films. Yeah, just basically will they'll send me a creative brief and I'll go through and Find songs that match it. And I've done stuff with Gap any song. and Apple. Any song that fits. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, it, usually there are budget restrictions, yeah. but in commercial work, oh, sometimes yeah. it can be, I mean, when you're working with brands like Google and Apple, mm-hmm. if they like something, they'll just... Companies pay you to be their cool friend who know, knows Basically. about bands. So, your other main pursuit in life is you're a director. Yes. Making, uh, yeah, filmmaking. Filmmaking. I guess is sort of my, my side hobby. Right, because yeah. you're not just... Able to Directing, you're also writing and yeah, yeah. I wrote all. my wrote and directed my first feature. I've been screening around. We've done about like twelve screenings over the last year, and sometime next year, it's going to go up online. It's called wow. Careful Not to Cry, Ooh. and I'm, it's probably going to be something where I just put it online for five dollars. Half of it goes to me for my next movie, and the other half will go to the National Network of Abortion Funds. Wow. The film is centered around an abortion doctor who's out of work because of restrictive state laws. I wrote it during the Obama administration as a response to like the left not pushing hard enough and not really like, no, we need to submit these mm-hmm. things in. Yeah. Thinking that, oh, Hillary will win and then we'll need to push even <laughs> further, but we need to push a lot harder now. So right. it's pretty much a... Oof. So that's, yeah. your, that's your next movie. Yeah. It's written. Writing. It's called Push Harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I saw that movie, and everybody should pay and watch it And uh, when it comes out online. Um, and you did a Q&A after that, which is the best directorial q and A of ever. Thank you so much. In. I really grew to love doing those. <laughs> yeah, I did awesome. not think I yeah. would, but I, I really, really loved it. It was... Yeah. Sometimes it's nice being the center of attention. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, don't we know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so we wanted to have you on because you, uh, as a director, you have, uh, you know a lot about film. And you had a director in particular that you wanted us to talk about. Yeah. Uh, by the name of Rainer Warner Fassbinder. Yes. If I'm saying that yeah. correctly. We can pronounce it correctly once and then pronounce it that way for the rest of the right. thing. Yeah. Audience, it's, this it's, is your one yeah. correct pronunciation. Leave us alone from here on out. 
And it is Reiner Werner Fassbinder. Fassbinder. Beautiful. I hope everybody enjoys from now on. Um, yeah, so we, so why don't you say a little bit about why you wanted to uh, discuss this provocative uh, character? Sure. Well, f uh, film for me is pretty much like the ultimate artistic medium. It's everything that I want from art and from life. It's really, it just encompasses everything interesting that art can do about people. And I feel like Fassbinder does this exactly as I want it. Mm -hmm. I, le I started learning about him, I guess I found out about him when I was in high school. And from pretty much from the moment I learned about him, I was like, this is someone that I'm going to become obsessed with. And so I held off like watching all of his stuff until, like, I still haven't watched all of his stuff, just because mm -hmm. I want to hold something back for the yeah. future. Yeah. Since yeah. when you like someone that much, it's nice, and they're dead. You don't want instant gratification. No, I don't want to yeah. like binge all yeah. his movies. I want to be able to like spread it out over my lifetime. Yeah. And I think with a filmography like his, it's 41 films in 13 years, pretty much. Right. It's... A filmography that we're going to keep learning things from over decades and decades from sure. now until the end of art, whenever that may be. Yeah, I remember reading that World on a Wire uh, that was recently, in 2010 or something, it was kind of rediscovered from yeah. his, um, his collection. And apparently it has, uh, it's a lot like, um, was that movie Dream Within a Dream? Oh, Inception. People, people said that it was Inception? a lot. Yeah. It's like, more like, huh. I'd say it's more like The Matrix. I think oh, okay. the Wachowski sisters really yeah. like, take a lot from Fassbinder. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they just announced that they're retiring from filmmaking, so I'm really wow. sad about that. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say about Fassbinder that you may not have heard about him, but he, uh, his um, influence is possible to pick up on in other movies. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah this yeah. Pod, this episode is for you, even if you don't know who we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point to touch on. <laughs> also wanted to mention that when we're, uh, you're maybe listening to this thinking, oh, I don't know, I'm not a cinephile, I'm not an auteur, I'm not even a chanteuse, but that is... <laughs> Okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Stay with us because Don't we're. Leave. This isn't going to be one of those movie podcasts Oof. where we talk about, where we go into the, the details of the plots of his movies. No. We're not going to do that. We're going to focus on his crazy, short, fast, and furious existence. Yes. And we're going to talk about some of the larger themes in his work, but it's not going to be boring. That. I will promise. Certainly you. not. And if we're going down a boring road, <laughs> we I have a plan. I'm the boring police listener, and I am going to blow my horn, which is a German-made uh, harmonica, and you'll hear this. And I'm going to cut them off when I think we need to be cut off. I'm so thrilled that we finally found an opportunity to showcase your musical abilities. No, I, I hope I get to play the outro this episode. Oh, yeah. No, that's... That goes without Finally, saying. my calling. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny, like, in this season I was thinking, like, we've done uh, Feral Children, mm -hmm. Lindsay Lohan, YouTubers, and now Highbrow German Cinema. Just yeah, we Naturally <laughs> flows. There's an ass for every chair on Yeah, No, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> season four. We make sense. <laughs> um, so, almost all the info that I got about Fassbinder... Um, is from The Life and Work of a Provocative Genius uh, by his friend and fellow director, Christian Brad Thompson. Hmm. That's where I got uh, most of my info. And Eric just knows everything. 
It's so. just passion for me passion more than it you. is actual. Yeah. Was there not much online? Is that why you dug into the depths There's of the library? There's not a lot online. It's yeah. difficult to find his movies online. It is hard to find his movies online. I had to use. We had to use your fancy filmstruck. My film friend struck. Inez, who I've been using her filmstruck login. Shout out to yeah. Inez. She's great. I yeah. hope she listens. Amazon had some that I saw, but yeah, Filmstruck seemed to be the place where his stuff lives. And so pretty soon, by the time this airs, maybe even Filmstruck will be gone. I know. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. So it's, Criterion does a lot of really great work in restoring his movies. Yeah. So they'll they'll find a place for all yeah. their stuff. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> um, yeah. So Fassbender lived a wild life. It began in 1945. He was active in filmmaking uh, from approximately 1969 to 1982. Um, in 1982, he stopped making films only because he died at age 37. 37. Um, Young. In that time, as Eric already mentioned, he directed 41 films. Uh, one, <laughs> the eight hours don't make a day is an eight-hour-long yes. <laughs> cinematic yeah, experience. Yes, basically done a TV miniseries. <laughs> and then Berlin Alexander Plotz. 15 hours. Yeah. That was kind of the, what he was working towards his whole life, Berlin Alexander Plotz. It's based on the novel, which is like a post-World War I German film. And yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very good. It doesn't feel like it's 15 hours. No. <laughs> These 15 hours just fly by. People sit there and they watch these Netflix series. No, you're right. And it's like, yeah. yeah. And these are actually good. I've watched 10 films. plus hours of Orange is the New Black. Yeah. <laughs> and they're on what, season six? So I've watched, you know, 60 hours, Jeez. really. Let's be real. <laughs> did they really have 60 hours worth of things to say? No! They did not. <laughs> um, yeah, so the way Thompson characterized this, Thompson, you know, being his close friend, said his work ethic was unique in film history. Here's the thing. Was it his work ethic or was it the massive amounts of cocaine that he did? I don't want to downplay how energetic he was or the overflowing of creative ambition that yeah. he had, but it was certainly pretty drug-fueled. I think energetic people uh, lean towards going to cocaine anyway, so he would have had it in him without the drugs, I think. I, I think. I think that that's fair. You're our resident cocaine expert. I'm here to just this. give you guys cocaine information. <laughs> for this episode. Because how many people do cocaine and don't make this many films in 13 years? I mean, years? I've never that's, made one. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, so, he, yeah, so on the cocaine thing, uh, he would lock himself in a room and go 24 hours without eat, uh, eating or sleeping. Um, and he said, uh, of his drug use, anyone can say for themselves whether they would rather live a short but intense life or a longer and more average one. Yeah. Everyone said that, that does cocaine. <laughs> everyone said that who died when they were 30. When they were, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the way that filmmaking works, even if you're not doing cocaine. Like, pretty yeah. much when I was making my movie, yeah. I, I did my day job from, like, 10 to 7, and then I just worked on the movie. It took, like, an hour for dinner, and then worked on the movie from, like, 8 to 3 in the morning. And it's like... That's how you get things done. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, it's not unique that a man locked himself in a room and didn't that's, eat. That's right. The other thing, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. called being a man yeah. <laughs> in New York. Yeah. I was, I go till about 5.30 some days, but then I just eat a cup of yogurt. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, some men just don't know how yeah. to survive, is Listen, what we're saying. Fastbender, we're not impressed. <laughs> like, 
We've the short of the long is we're not depressed. <laughs> We've seen it before. Um, so he once told a journalist, just him speaking of his own ambition, that he wanted to be to cinema what Shakespeare was to theater, okay. Marx to politics, and Freud to psychology. Someone after whom nothing was as before. Wow. And then Thompson said in the book, he said, listen to that, you might think that he was just a coked up superego, but it was really, there was, there was other stuff going on. <laughs> trust me, I knew the man. Yeah. yeah. We trust you. Okay. Still sounds like a coked up freak. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so a, a, another thing that I wanted to mention about how he characterized his body of work is uh, he said he insisted on showing what his countrymen failed to see or refused to remember. Yeah. So a lot of his work, it's like post-World War II Germany. It's, he's growing up and it's sort of dealing with the, uh, the remnants mm-hmm. of a still pretty broken country. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he was really tasked with confronting the idea that a lot of the people put into power in Germany after World War II were still Nazis. And they were like, yeah. they were really still. closely tied with the Nazis. And even going into the 70s, Ugh. like it was, it's really despicable and nobody ever really acknowledged that. It was just, and that's kind of what I want to confront in my filmmaking is the stuff that like American liberals sort of refuse to see. Yeah. And hopefully will one day acknowledge that like, oh yeah, the left is pretty much the center now and it's like we just have to push very far to the left yeah. to make anything happen or else it's just going to be really terrible. Well, we'll listen once you make your first 15-hour film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, so he lived, so yeah, growing up post-war West Germany, life wasn't pleasant. Um, he had kind of an unusual childhood where his, uh, for a long time, his mom was out of the picture. She uh, had tuberculosis and was mm. confined uh, from around uh, when he was like seven to nine. Uh, and yeah. then um, when uh, his father left his mother when, uh, when he was six years old. Um, and then uh, at age 11, Fassbender ran away for the first time from home because his mom had a new husband. Oh. And then at age 17, he went to go live with his dad, uh, during which time they got into a series of physical altercations, and his dad kept saying that Fassbender was trying to... Reiner, I guess he would have called him. Yeah. Rainer? Rainer. Reiner. Either or. Reiner. He, like, he said, he probably called him Reiner. And he was like, uh, Reiner's trying to kill me to a bunch of people. Um, uh, then uh, he wrote love letters to his dad's new wife, which was also oh. a source of contention. That bugged me. Yeah. And that, I think, may foreshadow his complicated love life, oh, yeah. as we'll soon see. <laughs> you got to be a very jealous person to let that bother you. As yeah, father. I guess I'd be yeah. like, my son's just a creep. Come yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, Rebecca, but just, it's okay. Just don't read the letter. Yeah. <laughs> Throw them out. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought it was interesting, like a lot of people who go on to be successful and influential, he had a pretty rocky start. Um, He was rejected from the Berlin Film Academy in 1966, Um, and then when his first first film debuted at uh, at the Berlin Film Festival called Love is Colder Than Death in 1969, uh, and audiences really hated it. 
and they were kind it. of booing and whistling while it was going oh, on. Oh, man. And that's when this guy who wrote this book, Thompson, met him when he was, like, sulking at the bar after his movie had been rejected. Oh, man. But even after they were, they, he had been basically rejected by this audience, uh, he said that Fastbinder displayed remarkable self-assurance. He was like, they didn't get they it. They just don't get it. Who cares? Someone will. Keep on trekking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good movie, but it's, it's, it's hard to make a good first movie. Filmmaking's not yeah. like painting, where you can like just do it in your apartment and then like throw away the old shit that didn't, wasn't good that you were like demoing. Right. Yeah. You have to actually like do, like, you have to get out and make movies to be able to make movies. You have to put a crew yeah. together and a cast and all these things. That makes sense. Yeah, you can't just like sort of fake it. Like with, I feel like music and painting, mm-hmm. you can learn and you can do these things on your own. And throw mm-hmm. out. And yeah. yeah, like you said, that makes sense. But with filmmaking, you, you have a budget for something, you're not throwing that out no matter how bad <laughs> right. it turns out. Yeah. You're just always going forward with it. Let yeah. them boo. Yep. Yeah. And they did. <laughs> and, and they will. Boy, did they. <laughs> and they will. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned that he had this kind of political leaning, like very strong political feelings that yeah. are very visible throughout his uh, throughout his work. He actually had ties to a terrorist group really? in West Germany uh, called the Bader-Meinhof Group, also known as the Red Army Faction. Hmm. And they formed uh, be- to combat it was what Eric was just talking about um, with the fact that Nazis were still, after... The World War II, there were still Nazis in positions of power. Mm-hmm. And these people were causing, causing a, a ruckus to try to, try to end that. Um, they, uh, they had a lot of bombings, uh, kidnappings, bank robberies, and shootouts associated with them. They, I think like something like they probably killed like 30 or 40 people oh. in the course of... Some of whom were just collateral, like they were just uh, bo- uh, bodyguards or chauffeurs or things like that. But right. they were just trying to go after, basically, people. Um, people who they thought uh, maybe maybe should step down. Maybe yeah. should maybe see what else they could. Do you have a stamp collection, friends? <laughs> do you have a hobby that you, you could, need to do? Something like a creative outlet yeah. that might help you deal with... You know, your nationalism problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe journal instead of going into office. Yeah. So at one point, Thompson asked him, like, would you make a movie about the uh, Bader Meinhof group? And he said, no, because a lot of them are my close friends. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. How about that? That's very cool. Yeah. I like a terrorist group that is against Nazis. Right. Yeah. We yeah. all do. That's always nice. A little controversial <laughs> even to categorize them as a terrorist group, I think, too. True. I think yeah. History yeah. will show. I like a cool, were... peaceful group that is against <laughs> just a group, just a boy band. That's what I like. <laughs> a really big boy band. Yeah. Um, so, the, uh, so he was putting on a lot of his early plays. Before he made movies, he was doing plays. Mm-hmm. And he uh, showed a lot of his plays at a place called Action Theater in Munich, an action theater was known as being a place where a lot of RAF members and RAF-adjacent people, that's where they hung out. Okay. So it was the site of uh, some wild goings-on. Uh, like, once there was a man who, was, who knew Bader somehow, 
um, and he, of Bader-Meinhof group, mm -hmm. um, and he thought that his wife was interested in Fastbinder, so he came into the theater and just wrecked it, just destroyed all of the chairs, and then he went... <laughs> no one will sit. <laughs> <laughs> he broke every chair, and then took that energy out into the world uh -huh. and burned down some department stores. Oh, my God. And that sort of ushered in the more violent phase of the RAF. So, like, was it political or was he just, like, a dick? I think maybe he's just a dick. Yeah. Who yeah. got political. Yeah. Um, there was another kind of crazy incident uh, that Fastbinder's film uh, incited. In 1979, he put out a film about terrorism called The Third Generation, that was kind of based on these goings on. I'm mm -hmm. not. I didn't see it, so I'm Loosely not sure. Based. Yeah, I'm not sure how closely connected it is. But it debuted in Hamburg, and masked men forced their way into the projection room, knocked the projectionist over, and tore the film from the projector. So people aren't the poor sure. Projectionist. Were they were they super left wing people who were angry at being depicted possibly in this kind of terrorist sure. light, or were they neo Nazis who were like, we don't want, the, uh, we don't want these people being glorified. We'll never know. We'll never we know. We'll never know. Lost to history. Um, and then after Berlin Alexander plots, Fassbender also got a lot of death threats. I don't know if that was he political loved it. or they were like. 15 hours is too long, but either way, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he left the country until danger passed. He had the option of having police protection. Hated police. Yeah, well, Didn't want anything to do with them. He wanted drugs. Decided. Delivered. I think that's when he went to New York for a little bit, because he was hanging out with, like, oh, Andy Warhol. and yeah, yeah, yeah. He it loved was, uh, New York. Cookie Mueller was his, like, drug connect in New York. So it's Who is that? Amazing. She was part of like the John Waters crew. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, very like a little. She's amazing. She's, she's very cool. Yeah, she's one of the more interesting people I think in the history of the world. She's just like I fascinating. Agree. Yeah. We should do an episode on We're her. Actually, that would be you're coming back yeah. for that one because yeah. she is very interesting. There's a book called Edgewise about her that is like not only one of the best like celebrity biographies, but like one of the best biographies I've ever read. It's just I'm so fascinating. Yeah. Because I find her very very, cool. very fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Enough about Fassbender. Let's just switch this up. This is a cookie episode. You know what? Episode. We're changing gears. <laughs> um, but so, okay, so he kind of had this violent background, wasn't afraid to get in the thick of things. Yeah. Not like he was violent, but, you know, he, he was living in kind of a violent, you know, chaotic time. Um, but it wasn't just his political films that put him in danger. Nothing without passion. For hey. a fastbender. Oh. Was... <laughs> oh, passion, honey. <laughs> he had a pretty complicated love life. Had a succession. He was bisexual and had just a seemingly... And openly so? Like, did everyone know? I think so. Because Other than oh, his yeah. love. Right? Like, Definitely. people were just like, oh, yeah. him, yeah. he's yeah. It was unclear exactly how he identified, but one of his wives said he was basically a gay man who just needed a woman with him every now and then. Yeah, he so seemed he, to really love women, just not sexually. Yeah. Okay. I think he was just From what yeah, I more fascinated so. by women, but he was definitely... Like, yeah. I, I would consider him to be gay. Yeah. Okay. More than bisexual. Yeah, yeah, I guess it wasn't... I knew that he had gotten married at one point, and he had other female partners, but yeah. it does seem like maybe they were kind of a muse-type situation happening. Yeah, a woman... Administrative capacity, yeah, maybe. Yeah, definitely, like, very strong collaborators. Yeah. It was always, like... Fascinated by them, yeah. Yeah, like, he... Yeah. Like, when he cast, like, certain women to play these lead roles, like, mm -hmm. he knew that they were the only ones who could carry this 
character that he had created. And it was yeah. definitely more of a collaboration with them, more than like a muse type situation. It was okay, yeah. actually the like working together to create this piece. So. Yeah, when he, um, when he not discovered because Barbara Valentin, who starred in his movie um, Fear Eats the Soul. Yeah. When she, she, I watched a brief interview with her when she they asked her about him, and she said we were erotically in love, um, but not he we would never touch each other. Yeah, so she mm, and she she hot. was like, yeah, she was like this blonde bombshell who never did anything serious, and he sort of plucked her out of that yeah. and made her <laughs> into, um, you know, into that role. And she kind of described it like sh- that. She was in, with one of his lovers in that movie, and she said, yeah, he would not, he would be have jealous moments when she would touch his lover because yeah. he obviously was not into that. Wow. Yeah, they were collaborative. She seemed to love him. Oh, yeah. There was a, there was, um, this is my brief interruption because I watched this on my way (laughs) here, but um, there was, (laughs) she messed up something in a scene and the co, what was his name? The co-star, last name Lovich, Carl Lovich, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Um, She messed something up and Fassbender yelled at her, didn't Mr. Lovich fuck you last night? Um, is that why you're not concentrating? And she ran off set crying because it was true, <laughs> and she did have sex with him. Um, but she, you know, felt very embarrassed. So she also felt he yelled that at her out of sort of jealousy that like his muse was being distracted by someone who he sort of was just like, you know, is in this movie, right? So. Also, he has like a pretty good history of like berating and sort of tearing down people. He really yeah. reminded me of uh, our friend. From The Shining, Mr. Kubrick. Yeah, he had kind of that. I think a lot of directors, correct me if I'm wrong, I hope you're not like this. Because people say this about Steven. (laughs) People say Spielberg, like, terrible, like, mean. And, like, everyone's just mean and shouting and making women... Uh, cry. I think it has more to do with <laughs> white men than, yeah, no, than being directors. Right. I didn't want to be the one to any, say it. I think it's in any field. Yeah. yeah. He was but rough hey. on her, but she said nothing but nice things about him. I'll end you with this and my segment with this. I loved this <laughs> quote because I feel like he would love to be described this way. Any narcissist yeah. would. Um, she said, even when he was quiet, you were aware of him. Whoa. And I fucking put that on my gravestone <laughs> yeah maybe because like he walked or breathed really loudly he was gross <laughs> he seems like a he seems like a man who'd be like she's like i'm aware and of like you. staring really intensely at mm-hmm. you just like thinking like uh, you. <laughs> I, I think he sounded like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> So that's him with that woman. <laughs> I'm going to make you into a star against your will. <laughs> She's like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as his collaborations with women, I think he used men more as muses, though, because a yeah. lot of his mm-hmm. men that he would cast were his lovers. Lovers. That lovers. Is tr- and, we're about to ooh, get that's into that. Yeah. And I think that was more <laughs> of the. Oh yeah, I'm going to put you in this movie because you're going to give me what I need sexually, and it was a lot of stuff like that with with the men. Predatory, so. some would Let's say. Let's give some examples. Let's of that. dive in. <laughs> so, uh, so actually, before we get into, I don't know, did he cast Gunther Kaufman in any movies? Yeah. Oh okay, yeah. Okay. He's, yeah. So we'll talk about that first. Maybe so, my favorite Fassbender actor. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Really? I think he's yeah fantastic. Just such a presence on screen. Yeah. Because he, he was not really like. 
He wasn't an actor. I, I don't think he was an actor before Fassbender. And then plucked Fassbender. Onto, yeah, yeah. Plucked. He liked to pluck, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this was, we're talking about Fassbinder's first love, Gunther Kaufman, who was uh, a, Bavar- a Bavarian, um, but he was, unlike a lot of people in Bavaria, black. And he was what's known as an occupation child because he was fathered by an American GI who oh. then took off. Got it. a pretty common phenomenon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Thompson uh, conge- has an idea that maybe that, uh, that maybe Fassbinder felt for Gunther because um, Kaufman was totally Bavarian, right? Like that's the, he spoke, you know, that's his first language, that's his culture, but he doesn't look like anyone in Bavaria. And Thompson said, I thought this was like a little bit shady. But he said, similarly, Fassbinder felt like a Hollywood star and looked like a Bavarian peasant oaf. <laughs> Which he does. That I is some shade. We don't like we don't talk negatively about people's uh, looks here on Yano Yeah, but if I had to describe him, that is a good description. Oaf. Bavarian peasant oaf. Full of Bavarian cream. At the, at the time of his death he looked I mean, he was 37, and he looked like he, he was looks in his late 50s. Because well, he lived that hard drug yeah, life. It'll it age you. Really. <laughs> so I hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you told me this. How many Lamborghinis did Fastbinder oh, buy? For not one, Kaufman? not two, not three, but four Lamborghinis <laughs> in the span of a year what? that he confirmed that they wrecked one. Most people say that they wrecked all four. In Just the, for fun. Just eh, accidentally, <laughs> probably on the first one, and they're like, "We could do this and live. Why oh not just God. keep doing it?" I bet that they uh, did it on uh, on purpose. I have a couple reasons for thinking that. Um, I remember probably not wrong. <laughs> I read that uh, at one point he was someone else was in the car with him. Someone was recounting a frightening drive that they went on with him with Fastbinder. Or he was driving and there was an intersection that they didn't see and he was like, I'm going to speed through it. And he's like, why? No. And then uh, Fastbinder said something like, I, if, if we don't make it, then I'll die like James Dean. To which another person might respond, I would prefer to live a long time like someone who's not James Dean. Yeah. He didn't want that, though. He didn't want that. Long he, average life, I, boo. I, as much as he said that, I think he definitely, if he could have lived forever, I think he would have. Yeah. Because right. he is I, also a narcissist. Yeah, he was also, and also he was just so dedicated to creating. To doing what yeah. he yeah, did. And yeah. Just, yeah I, I don't think at any point he wanted to die. But okay. he wasn't willing to sacrifice not doing these things the that things made him live the way he wanted die. to live. Yeah. Interesting. So that, that seems to be the, the universal takeaway from Fast Funders. Yeah. No one wanted to live more than he did. But, <laughs> <laughs> but drugs. <laughs> um, so we mentioned that he did occasionally have a relationship with women, uh, have relationships with women. Um, he married... Uh, actress and singer Ingrid Coven in 1970. Uh, they divorced in 1972, but they collaborated, I think, after that. Like, they were they were tight. Um, but this was uh, a, t- a tough um, pill for her to swallow. Uh, right after they got married, she went to their bedroom to retire for the evening, only to find herself locked out, and inside, Fastbinder was sharing a twin bed with Gunther Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. A twin bed. For a honeymoon suite. For a honeymoon suite. Yeah, that seems rude. That's the weirdest part yeah, of the no, story. Yeah, that's the weirdest Definitely. part. Yeah. <laughs> you think well, what's better a... than being that close? Ideally, I... you'd just be on top of each other right. on your honeymoon. 
Not okay. next to each other. I always thought maybe there was a queen bed and a twin bed to the side. And they were like, we, oh. we choose to, yeah. be, to your, show you. Yeah. Your side lover lives yeah. here yeah. and you guys share the bed. Yeah, Thompson kind of characterized it as him, uh, Spassbinder, putting um, putting Ingrid kind of in her place. Damn. Like, like you're my wife, but he's you're my, my wife, man. But he's my twin bed buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we all have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he, then he kind of made, I thought this was weird, he sort of made kind of a traditionalist big deal out of, my wife shouldn't have to work. She doesn't. She doesn't have to. Look at me. I'm a big man. Right. But he was very supportive of her in all of her creative endeavors. And there was this cute little story about how one time she was like, I'm going to try being a nightclub singer. Um, and then she, he brought all the f- of his film crew to, uh, with her. To, we're being interrupted by a dog bone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, yeah, just a musical that. intervention. intervention. <laughs> Intermission. I'm glad the dog was the cause of the first harmonica player. I haven't been didn't expect that. Okay. We're doing good then. We're doing good. Um, So so he brought everybody there so that she wouldn't feel like she was singing to an empty room. That's very cute. Isn't that cute? That is very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, but then he also had, outside of those sweet moments, there were a lot of uh, less sweet moments. (laughs) I would imagine. He had many a dark chapter. Mm. Um, So he had an affair with, uh, I believe this would have started sometime in the early 70s, with a Moroccan gasterbeiter, which is German for guest worker. So in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, there were a lot of people who came from other countries to work in in West Germany. Okay. They were trying to rebuild some stuff. Yeah. A lot of stuff got knocked over. Uh, as yeah, you can imagine. At the least. Yeah. Um, uh, his name was El Hedi Ben Salem. Beautiful. Uh, Salem, however, was jealous of Fastbinder's other lovers. Mm. Fastbinder was not was not a one man kind of <laughs> yeah. guy. Yeah. I don't think monogamy was his thing. Yeah, so this irritated Salem to the point that he threatened to stab Fastbinder on one occasion. Um, but then later, for whatever reason, he got drunk in a bar and instead stabbed three other Germans, who I don't think had sure. a lot to do with um, this. this. <laughs> uh, misplaced anger, which is a theme in his movies. Um, luckily, they all survived, but Salem had to, had to beat it, had to go on the lamb. So a movie that he had just starred in, again, he always was casting his mm-hmm. boyfriends. So Salem had starred in uh, Fastbinder's 1973 film, Fear Eats the Soul. Yep. It won a Critics' Prize at Cannes, but Salem, the star, wasn't there to receive it because he was busy running from the law for attempted murder. Wow. So, so he has to go, I guess, back to Morocco. Yeah. And Fastbinder at some point starts to miss him. He's like... Uh-huh. How's he doing? I want to go see him. He's in the middle of making his movie Fox and His Friends. And so in order to go see him, he wrote in a scene where they go to Morocco. Brilliant. Where the kind char- of brilliant. Where the characters, the the main character and his boyfriend, they get to kind of a difficult place in their relationship and they look at each other and go, you know what? Let's go Morocco. to Morocco. <laughs> so the next scene, they're in Morocco and they see this sexy Moroccan guy mm. in the marketplace and he makes really intense eye contact with them, which in the 70s, in I guess, you know, they're that like, meant. we know that look. Still like, to the Come back <laughs> to our room. So it's kind of this interesting 
scene where they're trying to negotiate a three-way, but Salem only speaks French and they speak German, and then they try to bring him back to his hotel, but they can't bring Moroccan into the hotel. Because I guess hotels were segregated. Even in Morocco? Even in Morocco? Which <laughs> no Moroccans seems... allow empty hotels. Yeah. <laughs> it's a scene where he's like, but he's one of you. And yeah. The oh, they say like, it's yeah. like the vibe. It's, it's acknowledged in there. It's like... And then the staff guy who's telling him that Salem can't stay there say, if you need boys, we can send one of the staff. Like, get yeah. over this boy. Yeah. Take another boy. <laughs> yeah. Can we okay? help you? Oh. And so... Pet her yeah. a little bit. We just need sure to. Right. Yeah, let's Pet her belly. Yeah. Oh, there she's yeah. tumbled over. <laughs> <laughs> we invited you on this podcast mostly to pet this dog. I, it's my favorite thing in the world is petting a dog. So. Um, I, sorry. I was going to say, I normally go to Dog Beach on Sundays. I didn't go today. Oh. Uh, hello. 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 Got my own beach. personal Dog Beach right here. <laughs> we always record on Dog Beach. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Fastbinder did have a big admiration for Salem, who had, who had grown up illiterate, but had taught himself to read and write and speak French. Um, then a few years after this reunion, which I guess went okay, uh, Salem hanged himself in a French jail. French jail. Yeah. And then Fastbinder ended up dedicating his last film, Carell, to Salem. Sad. Very sad. Seems like he was sweet to him. If overall. you thought that was sad, oh god, buckle up because we're in a fast binder vehicle and it's going fast. That's one of three boyfriend suicides that maybe could be categorized as the Lamborghinis. Oh god, yeah. Yeah. yeah, career. Was, we're on the highway got, to hell. <laughs> yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, <laughs> Audubon to hell. Um, that would be a good name for a movie. If he had lived one more year, that's the movie he would have made. Um, so while he's making Fox and Friends, uh, Fox and his friends, Fox and Friends is a conservative, no, it's a, it's a TV show. Is it? That old people and Donald Trump love. It's like a Fox and, it's like. It's the morning, it's like a. Oh, it's Fox and Friends. Yeah. Yeah. In the morning. Yes. The news show. Yeah. Yes. I was imagining a cartoon for Republicans, yeah, that's <laughs> which kind of what, is what it is. That's not far off. That's <laughs> as good of a description as I can think of. Um, so during the filming of that, he had a new boyfriend named Armin Mir, uh, who, again, grew up working class in an orphanage. Um, he and has a is, pattern of the types of people This he is the blocks. thing. What's interesting about Fox and his friends is he's playing, Fassbender is the lead in that. And he's playing a guy who's at a disadvantage because his boyfriend is so much more classy and refined than he is. And he's sort of exploring that dynamic in that movie. But in his real life, that dynamic was he was always on the other side of that. He was, he was always, always the daddy. He was always the daddy. Yeah. For someone who dabbled in so many different styles and genres, the one thing that kind of links all his movies together is that they're all about exploitation and love. Yeah. And pretty much the, the, the power dynamic of love being yes. exploitative from one partner to the other or yeah. from multiple partners to the other <laughs> or as is the case with Fox and his friends where it's all about pretty much the bourgeoisie taking advantage of this man who's just won the lottery and does not does not go well for him <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah so Meyer apparently was also in the habit of threatening Fastbinder a lot okay and then uh committed suicide on Fastbinder's birthday well, Fassbender was having a party that Meyer hadn't been invited to. Wow. Very, very sad. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is really sad. Yeah. You want Sorry, us to backpedal? You want to go back to... Yeah, to Cookie Mueller, up. Cookie Mueller. <laughs> Look at that dog. Got your harmonica. Oh, now we're feeling better. Thanks. That was refreshing. That's this is now the suicide harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> Every suicide I play. Uh, you got a couple more coming up then. Yeah. <laughs> You're not done playing that harmonica. Let me wet my lips. <laughs> yeah. um, so Fastbinder dated his first set designer, uh, Kurt Robb. They collaborated for eight years. Um, and then Fastbinder broke it off at some point. I don't know if he was like firing him or breaking up with him for Fastbinder. I think they were often one and the same. Oh, it I seems think so, like yeah. it. They all work for him and his, make love. His work life was his life. That's yeah. all he did was yeah. work. I mean, you can't Wanna train Want to go up. to Morocco? Put my movie in Morocco. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, Rob was also very uh, irritated at this and felt betrayed. And he tried to pay a thug to kill Fastbinder. Yeah. Didn't work out. No. Um, here's the thing. Fastbinder used to it at this point. Got like, over it. On. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't care. Later they had some sort of reconciliation. Because at some point, a few <clears throat> years later, Kurt came over to commiserate with Fastbinder because he uh, had, because Kurt's boyfriend and another friend of his were in jail. Okay. And uh, so Fastbinder, in my head, in kind of a, this came off as kind of like sneering. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misreading it. But he said to his other friend, "Do you hear about this? Every time Kurt wants to see his friends, he has to go to jail." Mm. And then to which Kurt responded, "Yeah, and you have to go to the cemetery." Whoa! Bow, 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 bow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. How do you come up with a response that quick? That's why I'm not buying that he said it that quickly. Maybe later on he was like, God damn it, I should have said yeah, and you have yeah. to go to the cemetery. That would be a that's, quick. If someone yeah. said it to me, well, I would literally pass yeah. out. Because <laughs> yeah. that's good. Yeah, it's like dialogue. He got red. I remember seeing that after that, Thompson, uh, Thompson said that after that, Fastbinder did not have a, a comeback. He was just kind of like... Yeah, I mean, what can you say? Yeah, his face turned to ash and he fell off. Probably made a movie about it right after, right? Yeah. I think he did. That was his response. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention that with all this talk of uh, him kind of having this destructive relationship, destructive relationships, um, I noticed in Carell, the last movie he made, mm -hmm. the nightclub singer keeps singing this song, or keeps singing this refrain that's, every man kills the thing he loves. Oh, no. Yeah. I Enough. Keep, in my notes, I keep saying Fox and Friends. It's not what this is. You really had Fox News on the brain. I'm really. You ever just crave Fox News? Throw it on right now. You ever just like want to be bad and watch some Fox News? When I want to be bad, that's what I do. No, honestly, no. it sounds kind of good. Anyway, um, I'm just like him. I'm just like fueled by. What infuriates me. So, okay, so I kind of want to talk about these themes that we brought up. The power games. The homosexuality, which is not a theme. <laughs> but what was so interesting to me is I, uh, I always think in that era as just people being closeted. I don't think about them being out and uh, just living their lives not, you know, not in secrecy. Yeah. Well, I think but he was, was out and about. Yeah, yeah, and then in that movie, Fox and His Friends, he has, 
he he sort of he depicts gay life as being like ha- kind of how I think of it being now. Like at one point, a gay character brings his boyfriend, it like introduces him to his dad and says, "Dad, this is my boyfriend." And it's like you know the late seventies, mm. and his dad is like, "Hey, yeah, I like this guy better than the last one." Yeah, and it's very like, and I'm just wondering like maybe I just have an idea of what it was like from America, and maybe it was very different in Germany. Yeah, he also portrays gay life as being, like, gay relationships as being just as destructive as straight relationships right. or any other kind of relationship. It's just, like, he didn't really, like, treat it any differently yeah. or mm-hmm. more with any, like, greater interest than any other. But do you know, did that kind of fit in with the cultural, with with the culture in Germany at that time, or was this kind of, like, a standout thing? Well, I think it's because they were part of such, like, a small sect of subculture. Okay. With, like, like, the art scene Because even America there. had that in a small subsect. Like, Andy Warhol vibes, like, you could be anything there. But yeah. not really outside of that. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. In his small, fancy, bourgeoisie circle, you could probably be however you want it to be. Yeah. Like, it but, would be, yeah. You know? Yeah, but, like, with Andy Warhol, it's, like, what he was putting out for people to consume was, like, here's a cool picture of Marilyn Monroe. You're right, yeah. His art wasn't, like, overly gay. Well, yeah. Marilyn, loving Marilyn Monroe is pretty gay. Right, <laughs> but it wasn't, like... But it wasn't, like, a Fastbinder, which is very, like, you know, hey, this is a gay... It's just like any other relationship. Yeah. yeah. Which is... Seems forward thinking, yeah, for then. But maybe I just don't know. Yeah, well, he didn't even touch was. on gay life really until Fox and His Friends, oh, his the, films. Oh, okay. like, that was the first time he even addressed it. And what film. year was okay. that? I think seventy. Do you know what year it was? Seventy six. Oh, so just like mid to late seventies. Yeah, sounds right. So it was like towards the movie I watched. The one that I watched, The Merchant of the Four Seasons, <laughs> is not at all. No, yeah. <laughs> which I think we talked that this was. Yeah. I maybe watched the weirdest, most non. Yeah, it's also like. That was his first huge one that kind of catapulted okay. him to, like, being able to do... Because I think he got really into Douglas Surf right before that one. Mm. And he just got obsessed with this idea of Hollywood melodrama. Yeah. And yeah. being very able to, like... Because to, his earlier films were very outwardly political, in a way. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of found a way to show it through, like, the, com- the, the common people of West Germany at the time. And so he was... With... Uh, Merchant of the Four Seasons. That was his first take on Douglas Sirk, who the All That Heaven Allows was uh, the inspiration for, uh, was it Ollie Fury to the Soul? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's pretty. The, Douglas Sirk, I think, was his number one, like his favorite filmmaker, the one he took the most from. So he was, uh, yeah, the, the, the colors Sirk used are similar to the colors Fassbender used, very like Technicolor. Mm-hmm. Wow. So it's, yeah. It's, yeah, that movie seemed like it, like to Molly's point, that seemed, because it was just like a heterosexual couple, it yeah. seemed like what German culture was like, an abusive, drunk husband, sorry Germans, and, you know, some sort of unhappiness that unravels from that, but I don't know about, you know, Fox and his friends, and if that was normal then. Um. Well, okay, I'm seeing in your notes here, you have something about how critic Andrew Britton said, um, wrote in Gay Left, I guess, which was a magazine, yeah, in 1976. Yeah, that its version of homosexuality degrades us all and wow. should be roundly denounced. Wow. Um, and you also said that it initially drew ire for what some perceived to be a derogatory view of gay culture and community implicit in its deception of a circle uh, of male friends and lovers as, uh, yeah, its depiction of a circle of male friends and lovers as shallow, catty, and materialistic. Oof. 
I think it was more of a critique on the bourgeoisie, and he was showing that through right. the lens of right. gay life more than anything. I think that's what a lot of people over time came to. Like, at first, there weren't, like, I think we were just talking about, there weren't that many depictions of gay life in yeah. cinema, at mm -hmm. that, uh, through German cinema at that point. That was kind of, like, the start of new German cinema. And it's, you have to be more well-rounded, I think, to maybe get to that point. Right. But I think Fassbender was just thinking on a straight-ahead path. Like, he was just like, no, I'm going to make the kind of movies I want to make. And I'm yeah. not going to think about what other people are doing mm -hmm. or how it fits into, like, the, the zeitgeist. I'm just going to very much move Speaking forward. of how it fits into the zeitgeist, that's something that I thought was also really interesting that a point Thompson made about his casting choices, where it was like... Um, Kaufman and then uh, Salem mm -hmm. um, were black, and he and Thompson says that he thinks that by casting these people, um, Fassbinder was very aware of Germany's legacy. Obviously, that would be something that you would feel right. a lot, and he was trying to atone by. He thought that it would somehow atone for what Germany had done by casting these people as stars. But here's the thing, uh, life did not go well for them. And no, I don't it didn't. think, and it's like, I totally believe that that could have been his intention. Like, I'm going to be inclusive where my country has not been. Um, yeah. but, uh, but boy, he didn't, didn't do a bang up job. <laughs> they didn't leave feeling great. Yeah. I mean, he did do a great job of casting them and directing them, yeah. but I don't, outside of film is really where he struggled. Yeah. Uh, Michael Koreski for Criterion said, perhaps the question of whether it's viperous superficiality, talking about Fox and his friends, mm. is attributable specifically to homosexuality is ultimately less interesting mm. than the way it's gay men accept and enforce the class divisions of a larger culture that marginalizes and oppresses them. Like, hello, people, do you get it now? <laughs> Listen up. You're welcome. Is your harmonica working? I feel like you let me go a little long there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then we, you and I also watched The Bitter Tears of Petra von Kant, yes. which was so good. That was my favorite movie of his that I watched. Mm -hmm. And it's this older lesbian who has, uh, who sort of seduces this girl who she wants to set up as a model. She's an art designer, and she wants this girl to uh -huh. be her model. And then the model is like, yeah, sure, I'll stick around, I guess, whatever. <laughs> and then she leaves. And then it sends Petra into the spiral, and then her... Oh, God, I'm summarizing a movie. I hate it when people do this. <laughs> anyway, say, blah, it looks, blah, blah. It looks great. The colors are incredible. Yeah. It really is. At one point, she mirrors. stomps on a teapot. It's really cool. Everybody... If I was going to recommend one of his movies, Yeah, it you would told be me that was that the one. one. And I didn't listen. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good. Good to hear. Um, so, yeah, but that was, like, another really interesting... It was a similarly very interesting take on uh, relationships and how people exploit each other mm -hmm. and how, boy, you just can't be you in can't love. can't win. A, yeah, you can't. That's really what I'm learning from this. <laughs> you should write stuff for the Criterion Collection. You can't win <laughs> yeah. in love. Bottom line. So, let's fast forward a couple years. Uh, he's, <laughs> um, he's uh, besides cocaine, Fastbinder mm. also loved pills. Of course. I think, okay. okay. You don't just love cocaine. Right. You're often into other stuff. He liked barbiturates, uh, sleeping pills. Uh, around Oof. the time he was making um, Corel, it was especially, it had really ramped up his, his drug use. Um, 
he once, I thought this was an interesting anecdote with him and pills. He was once hanging out with a bunch of friends, and he swallowed a huge number of pills, which I guess were sleeping pills, mocking his friends, saying, Bet none of you, I bet if any of you guys ate this many pills, you'd probably die. And they oh, were God. like, Yes. Yes. We would. We would. He's like, I guess I'm the only cool one. Oh, <laughs> That's not really, I'm ad libbing. I'm That's the not only cool one. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, uh, uh, he had that attitude, you know? Yeah. Uh, so on the night of June 10th, his partner, Ju- uh, his female partner, okay. another one of these, uh, she was also his editor? She was a film editor, yes. I think? Yes, yeah, I believe so. Um, she found him on the night of June 10th, uh, dead mm. in front of his TV with a trickle of blood coming from his nose. Oof. And just eight hours before, he was telling an interviewer an interviewer about his dream for a German Hollywood to make cinema that is as wonderful and as generally comprehensible as Hollywood, but at the same time not so false. Okay. I thought you were mentioning before, like, the his influences. I thought it was so interesting how much he liked Hollywood movies, given how when you watch his movies now, they seem like very... I would say artsy. Yeah. You watched one that was, by modern standards, rather a slow movie. A lot of staring. So much staring. A lot of still moments. And I was like, is this a photograph? Yeah. I don't understand. (laughs) You're like hitting the side of your TV. I was like, guys, this is frozen. (laughs) Stream. Hollywood at that time was more experimental than Hollywood now, too. So I think, like, he was like, he, but then even he got obsessed with, like, Steven Spielberg. Right. Yeah. He he was making interesting stuff at that time. Like, he got obsessed with the idea of being just like Spielberg and being able to make those kind of movies that could, like, attract these huge audiences and just make tons of... Like, like I blockbuster think, type yeah, things. I think he learned how much Steven Spielberg was making from these movies and was like, I'm going to make movies like want. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But from his whole career, he wanted to make huge movies. Like, that was his whole thing. I think that's why he leaned into the melodrama and so much in this, like, bombastic... He was really into the idea of making these, like, huge stories just seem much larger than life. But then also, Merchant of Four Seasons, like, very naturalistic mm-hmm. and very real... But he did the back and forth. He was all over the place, yeah. style-wise. So it's, yeah. I feel like that's what any filmmaker should do. But, yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, you put in here that uh, a Swedish filmmaker named Daniel Schmid uh, quoted him as saying, as shouting into the phone, I want to make millions. I want to be rich like Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, that was Don't like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Daniel Schmid was one of his friends. I think one of the few people he spoke with. Uh, like in his last few weeks when wow. he was just like locked away working I think he was finishing Corel, like doing the mm-hmm. like he would never go to the edit Fassbender but he was waiting on I guess Julian Lorenz to finish the edit and then he would uh, who actually she I don't think really got hired after he died you know she was like an amazing editor but she was so linked with Fassbender oh, that wow. after that no one hired her and Ridiculous. And then she also weird. started to develop a bad reputation because at because she was she wasn't his wife, but she was more or less filling the role of his widow, and so he took she ended up running his estate. Pretty right? much, I think so. And people yeah. didn't like. They said that they that she deleted certain people's names from the credits. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, his estate has been very controversial. It's still, I mean, I, to this day, I think they said whoever handles it now does an amazing job because they're yeah they, yeah they they do great work with it but yeah, yeah and with Daniel Schmid this is this is another very sad thing okay. this is another very sad thing is that uh, he said 
that Fassbender would look out the window and say, or he would, sorry, I got distracted by this. <laughs> okay. are, we, are we over time? No, yeah. we're, we, um, like, we'll, we'll we're getting to the end. Spots, okay, so we'll cool. bring it yeah, yeah. to the end. Great. Yeah, he said uh, during the last weeks of his life, Daniel Schmidt said that Fassbender would call him at three in the morning and he would repeat the same thing. He would shout at him, how are you able to just sit there and look outside the window? How can you? How can you just sit on a rock and look at the sea? How can everybody else be so lucky? So he could just, he would never relax. He was just always working. He yeah. never was able to take the time to just sit there and be what a person is. And yeah. He was just so obsessed with this idea of showing what a person could be. They never got to actually really live like a normal person. Yeah. You yeah. also had this quote from Schmid. He could simply not believe that his heart was weaker than his head, that his body was weaker than his will to live. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just incredible. Uh, that's yeah. amazing. That's yeah. very good. That's, yeah. Uh, and then uh, when he died, it, at his funeral, his favorite song was Bobby, Me and Bobby McGee by Janis Joplin, Janis Joplin, which was played over his coffin. That's what my mom once played at her funeral. Did you, do you feel like you were raised by a bit of a fast bender? Sure. <laughs> I think that song in its simplicity appeals to people who lived a fast life because it's just about love and like being sad. Right. My dad want, doesn't want a funeral yeah. or anything. He just wants me to play Catman Do, the Bob Seger song. That's his big deal. So Look, that's from, from, give the man yeah. what he wants. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Katie, will you play us out? I'll play you out. <laughs> it's a little song about love and loss. <laughs>